So good morning, everybody. Please open to John chapter uh, 14. If you are new to the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so New Testament, uh, fourth book in. If you have, if you need a Bible, they're in the seat back in front of you. So John chapter 14, uh, if you've attended here for any amount of time, you know, kind of my, my family and I, we're, we're, we have a musical kind of background. We love music, especially uh, my wife and my kids. Yeah, I like it too, but in our home, there's always some kind of music being played, uh, like all the time. And uh, we especially enjoy, you know, as a family, just our brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, that God's gifted all over the body of Christ who are really gifted in the area of of music, and so if you come into our house at any time, there usually be some uh, some music playing. But Christian radio will be on, and we'll be enjoying a lot of those those songs. And it, and, and if you haven't noticed, we listen to Christian radio. The theme of love is happening all the time. God's love for us, and 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 you'll hear songs about how it's impacted the individual and how um, you know it's helped them in various circumstances and and all of that. Uh, you know, and, and we know as believers that we don't want to get our theology from the Christian music industry, right? So, you know, with that said, it's just still very encouraging, very uplifting, very uh, just, I love so many of those songs. Um, but there's, a, you know, there's an incredible in- emphasis in that music on, on on how much God loves us. And that is so true. And and. We're so blessed. And with verses like in Romans 8 that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I mean, in times of like this, that's just, uh, it's absolutely great. And we're, we're right to embrace that truth. But I think we need to reevaluate on some level that entire topic of God's love. Uh, because while we embrace and we love and we enjoy hearing about God's love for us, um, that love has a context. God's love for us has a context. And you see, we often emphasize God's love for us, and, and, and He does. And, and it's demonstrated in something called like common grace. So like, there's a general sense in which God loves the world. And I think everybody says, you know, hey, we're all God's kids. And it's kind of like, no, not technically. Uh, we're all created by God, but we're not all God's kids. There's a sense in which He loves the world and, and that we're breathing His air um, you and I are walking around eating great food and living in a wonderful country, and so, you know. But you know, so we have this. You know, God's restrained evil in the world to a certain degree. There's other things like that that are going on. There's a common grace; it rains on the just and the unjust. And so there's this there's this general love that God has for the world. But there's another sense in which God's love is specifically manifested. It's kind of like you know how you love everybody, but then you love your kids. It's kind of like that. God's love is also manifested to sinful men in something called saving grace. And saving grace is extended to those who believe upon his son and those chosen by God. And for that person who believes upon his son, nothing can separate them from the love of God. You see, it's specific. Nothing can separate those people from the love of God, the ones who have received Christ as Savior, the ones who love the Son, the Father loves. There's a context to God's love. And then we enjoy the Romans 8, right? And so God loves His church with that kind of love. He loves you if you are a believer with that kind of love, amen? But what does God say about our love for Him? What's that supposed to be like? That's a, that's a different question we don't sing very much about. What does God say our love for Him is supposed to be like? How does God define what our love for Him should be like? That's an important question. Because we can be walking around very well thinking that, uh, you know, hey, we love God because of, I've, I have a song in my heart and I've got a feeling, I've got a tap in my step, and hey, I've, you know, I, I love God. When very well it could be that that's not how God defines that our love for Him should be. Interesting, isn't it? Never thought about that sometimes. You know, it's just kind of like it's, it's a fleeting thought, but it's very important. We know that God loves us, but do we really know what it is to love God? Another way to put it. Do you really know what God requires of you to love Him? Jesus, here in John 14, he starts in verse 15 and defines it for us. 
Look what he says. If you love me, what? You'll what? You'll keep my commands. I mean, think about the relationships you're in. I love you, but I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. That's the love that I have for you. Uh, No, I'm sorry, reject that. This is love. You know, God gets to define the parameters of love being the creator of the universe. And here, the Son of God says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Remember, in John 14, just to bring us back into where we were, this is the night before Jesus is about to die. He is about to be executed. He's at the Last Supper with his, his dudes there. He's got 12 of them there. Judas, one of them, has actually just left the room to go betray Jesus. This is where they are in their dinner and Jesus turns to 11 and says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. You see, Judas didn't. He didn't keep. The others, he's saying, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. And Jesus defines what our love for is. It's keeping his commands, keeping his word. And really quickly, just to show you how important this is, that, that we keep his commands because God is communicating what kind of love we're to have for him. He repeats it several times. Check out, just skipping through John 14, verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who what? He who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by what? My Father. And I will what? And I will love him and manifest myself to him. God's love has a context. Isn't that wild? You see, God's love has a context. The Father loves those who what? Love his, love his son. And Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. Look at verse 23, just skipping ahead a couple of verses. If anyone loves me, he will keep my what? He'll keep my word and my Father will love him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. In the word Uh, The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me, right? You see, to love Jesus is to obey him, and that's the proof that we love God. We follow Jesus Christ. To love and obey Jesus Christ is is really true, our our true expression of love for God. That's how he defines love for a believer. And by the way, his commands are not burdensome. I think we need to know that. His command, it, just, just to kind of, I'll, I'll skip ahead. And Jesus goes, this is the new commandment that I give you. Ready, ready for the big burdensome commandment that I'm giving you. And so you can express your love in this one dynamic way. This is how you love God. Jesus says, this is the new commandment I give you. That you love one another. As I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? He laid down his life. And so the Christian's love for God is to be demonstrated in our love for one another, in caring about one another, laying down our lives for one another. And when we do this, when we obey Jesus in this, it is our witness to non-believers. In that we, it's not a selfish love, it's a giving love. Amen? And they see that, they see Christ. And they go, wow, that's a love that I, I need. The Lord works through that. But you see, to love Jesus is the proof that we love God. And Jesus wraps up this entire chapter with his own example for us. It's not like he's telling us something he didn't do. Look at verses 30 and 31. He's speaking to the disciples. Jesus says, hey, I'm no longer going to talk with you much because, you know, in just a few hours he's going to be crucified, right? For the ruler of this world is coming, that's Satan. He has no claim on me, but, verse 31, I do as the Father has what? commanded me. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you see that? The ultimate example is always in Christ. He goes, rise, let us go from here, right? So you see the way that we, that we know that Jesus loves the Father is through his obedience to the Father's command, even to the point of death. And so if we're Christians and we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, we follow even to the point of death. And, and by the way, like John MacArthur said, you can only do that once. So it's really just pra- practically living that out every day, right? I die daily. That's what Paul says. So likewise, the evidence for our faith, our love, and love 
um, is by keeping his word. And that keep word keep there, there's a tense in the Greek. It means to keep on keeping. It's to keep on keeping his love. That's what we do. We walk after Jesus Christ. And that's the difference between a disciple and a Judas. Amen? That's the difference between a, a true follower of Jesus and one who doesn't. Between the sheep and the goat, between those who are gods and those who are of the world, the disciple loves God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ, right? That's what happens. And, and I, I wanted to emphasize this not only because John 14 does, because it is to those that Jesus is speaking to in John 14. Judas left the room, he's speaking to them, and it is to them that he starts to comfort them and pour out the promises and the riches that are theirs to come in Christ Jesus. You see, a tidal wave of difficulty is coming, and equally so, a tidal wave of grace and and giftings and and comfort and promises are going to overflow into the life of the disciples. They're going to be sorrow in the morning, but in a couple days, that's going to turn around. And Jesus knows everything that's going to happen. And he wants to let them know of the sure promises that are coming to those who love him. So Jesus is now speaking to his disciples, John 14, 15. Obviously, Judas has left the room, and now Jesus continues to comfort them in his final hours. He's about to die, and yet he's turning around comforting them. That's Jesus for you, right? Verses 15 through 17, let's read them together. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen? So Jesus is leaving. His disciples are sorrowful, but he reassures them because Jesus is going to send them another helper. And according to uh, this verse, we know, actually in verse 26, we know that the helper is the Holy Spirit. That's who Jesus is talking about. He's going to send them the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is leaving, but he's sending the disciples the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us a lot about the nature of the Holy Spirit in these verses. Check it out. The description, starting in verse 16. I think it's really important for us to get this. The first thing Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in verse 16 that that the Father would send another helper. And you're like, okay, thanks a lot. Another that word in the Greek, another, there's two different words that we kind of see in New, the New Testament if you're looking in the Greek. One is another of a different kind, and one is the, another word for another is another of the same exact kind. And that's the word Jesus is using for another. Uh, the Father is going to send you another of the same exact kind of helper as I am. Isn't that cool? That's, that's a description there of the type of helper that God is going to send. The Holy Spirit is another helper of the same exact kind as Jesus. He is the perfect substitute for Jesus, God the Spirit, God the Son. Further description. The next description that Jesus gives of the Holy Spirit, if you're taking notes, that would be sent is he calls him a helper. Helper. The word there is parakletos in, in, in the Greek. And... Uh, which means summoned or called to one side. That's what it means. Like we've got paralegal, someone who comes alongside this. So there's this idea. It's a legal term. The idea being relayed is that the word helper is that it's similar to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to be a counselor. That's what that term meant in that context. It it means a, a counselor, one who pleads another's case before a judge. One who assists, one who guides. You know, it's kind of like you're in a, in a legal system and, and you've got this, you have no idea what's really going on and you've got this person who's an expert in all things legal and they give you counsel and wisdom and all these things, but this person is not charging you exorbitant amounts of money. They are there for your sole benefit. They actually lay down their lives for you and lead you in the ways of God. That is, that is what the Holy Spirit is is. That's what characterizes him. He assists and guides us. He's the counselor. And so Jesus, just as he was walking along the disciples, listen, 
Church, this is really important. Just as Jesus was walking along and physically guiding and teaching them and molding them and shaping and doing all that stuff, so God has sent the Holy Spirit into the heart of the believer to do the very exact same thing. He is the helper of the believer. Amen. I'm going to send you another beautiful The disciples were sad. And Jesus says, listen, someone exactly like me is going to come alongside you. I'm going to send them. And here's the cool thing, another attribute that Jesus wants to communicate is that the helper will never leave them. Do you see that? He will never leave. So can you lose the Holy Spirit? Like, oh no, I lost the Holy Spirit today. Where'd he go? You can grieve him, as we learn. There's a lot of things you can do, but you can't lose the Holy Spirit when you've been born again. And that's what the helper is. He's the permanent installation of God within your heart, manifestation of God. The disciples were sad because Jesus was leaving, but Jesus knew it would be best if he left. Now, now you gotta follow Jesus' logic. you you're just like the disciples. You go, why are you leaving? There could be nothing better than for Jesus to be walking with us. But Jesus says, it is to your advantage. This is later on, John 16, 7. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, Jesus, God in the flesh, as a human, could only be at one place at one time. But he's saying, I'm going to send one, someone who's not going to be limited as I was on earth, and the Holy Spirit will be able to be manifested in the believer's heart. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. And from that point on, anyone who is born again is born again by the Spirit, receives the Holy Spirit, the down payment, never to leave. Fourthly, in verse 17, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. One of the ways in which the Holy Spirit works in the the life of the believers that he reveals the truth concerning God to them. Listen, we are unable to know God apart from the Holy Spirit. You are unable to know anything about God apart from the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna say anything because he has this general revelation to the world. He reveals his nature by the universe, but that specific revelation regarding God. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he speaks of him then this way. He says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person? Like, I cannot walk up to you and know exactly what you're thinking in your mind. I know we can kind of get to know each other a little bit and read our minds and all that great stuff. But I mean, truly, who knows exactly what you're thinking? You don't even really know what you're thinking half the time, right? But I mean, your Spirit, who you are, It's all going on in there. You know what's going on. And unless you articulate it, it's not happening. Unless you choose to express yourself, unless you you choose to communicate who you are or what you're thinking. I know there's body language and all that, but you understand what I'm saying, right? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so just as no one knows who you are, basically, except for you, so... If one is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're now able to comprehend the thoughts of God. That's Paul's thinking. So a few verses later in verse 14, says the natural person, that's just the average person who's born, who's born of this world, does not accept the things of, God, of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Listen, if you're not born again, the things of Scripture, the things of God are foolishness to you. That's what he's saying. But when you have the Spirit of God within you, the things of God begin to make sense. He is not able to understand them, they say, because they're spiritually discerned. They just can't see it. You see, only the person who is born again, who has the Spirit of God within them, is given revelation concerning the truth of God by the Spirit of God. And this is why before Christ, when you tried to understand things about God, it was just kind of like, okay, whatever. But then when, you, when God starts speaking to you and the gospel is preached to you and you start going, what is going on here? And then there's a, an awakening that's happening in your heart, in your life. 
And all of a sudden, there's a realization of the weight of your failure and sin before God and that you're empty and you cry out to him and say, God, I have nothing, save me. And he does because that's why he's doing all this. And he sends his spirit into your life and you're born again and you've been taken from the pit of sin and death and become a son or a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. He puts his spirit in you. Then you open the word and it's like, there's an illumination that happens. The, the scriptures start jumping off the page. You start to understand, albeit when you first start out, it's as if a child, but you grow in that understanding. You'll be able to discern more and more and more and comprehend the will of God. You begin to mature. You'll be able to discern good and evil, right and wrong, what is glorifying to God, what is sinful, what is of the flesh, what of the devil, and you grow into Christ-likeness, you see, that's because the Spirit of God is working within you these things and, and as that new birth, that new seed is within you, you grow into Christ-likeness. You're growing to be a Christian. Christian, little Christ. That's what that word means. Now, they mocked the Christians in the first century because they were just like Jesus because they had a spirit within them. Amen? And the disciples, they had received the Spirit and they had been given, as apostles, special revelation. And they wrote the New Testament. That's not for us. But we have been given this understanding because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he's right now operating. Right now, there's things that you did not know about the Lord and the scriptures. And, and, and this week, as you've opened the word, or perhaps this, this morning, you're now seeing things differently. You're growing. Your mind is, your heart is opening up to the things God, he's teaching you, right? I was like, I'm not, I'm not God. He uses the foolish things. I want to make that clear. But you're going, wow, and you start to grow in your walk with the Lord. It's just an amazing thing. And so those who are not born again, those who do not have the Spirit of God, they're spiritually discerned. They can't comprehend these things. And that's why Jesus says in, back in John 14, 17, where we are, it says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees them or knows them. But what does he say there? He goes on to say, but you know. And that's really what distinguishes a, true, a, a believer and a non-believer is that one has received the Spirit of God and one has not. That's what it means to be born again. John chapter three, born of the Spirit, a spiritual birth. So just as the world rejects Jesus, so they also reject, they cannot see the Spirit or receive him. And notice also there in verse 17 that Jesus uses the personal pronouns here, he and him, there to identify the Holy Spirit. And the point being that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. It's a he. And if you go on in scriptures, you see that it's, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Christ. So which is it? Yes. <laughs> It is, it is God. He is God, right? And Jesus calls his disciples, says the world can't receive him, but verse 7, he says, you know him. Why? For he dwells with you and will be what? In you. And those are two more attributes of the Holy Spirit for you, for us. The believer would intimately know the Holy Spirit and the Spirit would be in them that's pretty neat. Amazing promises for us. Jesus promised them that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, would dwell in them personally and permanently. And if you've been born again, he's in you. And that's the proof, Ephesians 1.13. So in comforting the disciples, he promises them he would soon ask the Father to send them that permanent helper, the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18, Jesus comforts them again. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. Jesus keeps telling them he's leaving, but Jesus says, not as orphans. How many of you have been abandoned? How many of you have been left? Jesus says, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving my own. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's going to die, but he's not going to leave them. Check out the promise to them. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come again. It's Thursday. Not 
today. It's Thursday in John 14, but Sunday's coming. Amen? Jesus is speaking here of the resurrection. I will not leave you. I will come to you. And the disciples, they will scatter, but he's going to come and go get, he's going to go get them. They're his. They're his sheep. He's going to go get them. I will come to you. I love that. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. This is speaking to the disciples who were in that room. The world did not see the risen Jesus. Jesus did not appear to unbelievers, but from that point forward to believers, they won't see you, but you will see me. And Jesus says in verse 19, here's another great and beautiful promise. Because I live, you will also live. In other words, in a few days, I'm going to rise from the dead and you will see me. And because I live, you will live. Listen, we're all headed to the grave. This is why everybody's panicking. It's because death is coming. It's coming for all of us. Whether it was in the late 80s when I was a kid and I was taught to get under my desk because an earthquake was going to happen or a nuclear weapon was going to go off over San Diego because it was a military town or whatever it was. Like, and, and this is just the latest installment of, of the wake-up call to the world that we're not going to be here forever. And I don't take it lightly. I just say take it to its logical conclusion. What then? These guys are going to go through a lot. And they are going to be scared because their leader has just been crucified. The, na- the capital, the leadership, just executed the guy they're following. Uh, what are they going to do? Run away. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're away. You know, they're scattered in every direction. And Jesus says, in a few days, you're going to see me again. And when you see me, when you see me alive, I want you to know, because I live, you're going to live. No matter what happens to you, you will rise again. Why? Because you're tied to me. And that's where he's going. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the reason that we have hope of eternal life. And the promise is here. Listen, have you ever known anybody to just die and rise again? It didn't happen. And I love how we try to rewrite history, especially about Jesus Christ, that he wasn't really a person. When it's absolute fact These things were happening, and it revolutionized. It turned the Middle East upside down. Historians, Josephus and all these other people, wrote about what happened. External. We have documents in the New Testament that are rock solid. Put through more vigors than, you know, of of testing than all the other manuscripts we have, Homer's Odyssey, all this other stuff. I mean, it's totally, absolutely reliable. First-hand eyewitness accounts over and over and over and over again of Jesus doing miraculous things all over the place, people dying and rising from the dead. And here Jesus dies and he he, he raises from the dead three days later. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is our proof that we have eternal life. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, so what? We're just like everybody else, right? Right? Where's our hope? But if he did raise from the dead, rise from the dead, what's, 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 what's that, what, what happens because of that? Jesus says, because I am alive, you're going to be alive. You have eternal life because I have power over death. And he does today. And so the world needs hope. Not in a pretend false religious system, but in the Son of God who actually came and proved it by all the miracles that he performed and is still working through his church in preaching the gospel to meet people in this moment. That through faith in him, no matter what comes, you will live. And that's the hope that the world needs. And that's the hope that's supposed to be in the church and flowing out of us, and whatever comes our way, amen? And I'm not saying we don't get knocked back. These guys got knocked back, right? But Jesus comes to us, <laughs> and he'll encourage his church if we let him. 
And these promises are, are still here for today because he lives. So you will also, verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. You see, the resurrection was the proof of proofs to them and to us that Jesus was in the Father, that God was at work. In that day you're going to know it when you see that sign of Jonah. And Jesus says, when you see me risen, you'll know that I am in the Father and you in me. In other words, the resurrection is life over death, new life. Jesus' death, it paid for our sins, absolutely, but the resurrection gives us new life. You see, eternal life, life over death. The penalty for sin is death. That's why we die. But the resurrection is his power over death, giving us new life. And if we are united with him, we live too. And that's it. In his death and resurrection, we're united with him. We become united with God. That's what a Christian is. We believe that he died and rose again on the third day. Therefore, we believe that when we die, we will rise again. That's what baptism is a symbol of as well. But Paul said in Galatians 2.20, just to put it a different way, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, was Paul literally crucified with Christ? No. He was later beheaded. But Paul says, I was, cruci- I was crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in this flesh I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when we're born again, we identify, we lose our lives, we give it up, we surrender it to God, we're dead. But that's not as if we're walking around as zombies. Now we resurrect in the newness of life. If his spirit within us, now we truly have life. It's amazing. When Jesus says, Because I live, you live. And on that day, Jesus rose. The way was made for them to be one with God through the resurrection. Jesus in the Father and us in him and he in us were united. And so Jesus comforts them with the promise, first of all, of that permanent spirit indwelling them. Secondly, he comforts them with the resurrection. And now in verse 21, let's quickly go through these. He comforts them with the love of the Father. Father, Son, Spirit. Isn't that interesting how Jesus lays this out? He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be what? Loved by my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You see, the proof that we are his is by our love for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if it if it's that person that's going to be loved by my Father. It's the person who loves Jesus is going to be loved by the Father. Now, the believer should be comforted by that. Do you love Jesus this morning? Do you love him the way that he says you love him? <laughs> I know it's kind of like, ha, ah, Lord, give me more faith. Amen. I think we can all say that. But, you know, is the desire to follow Jesus there in your heart? Do we fall down like the disciples also? Of course we do. But listen, church, I want to make this really clear. You're not saved because you worked up for a love for God. You've got to make sure you know this. Amen? We're not saved because we loved God first. You didn't. I didn't. He sought us out. He loved us first. While we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. He saw us. He loved us. You see that? We need to know that. It's only by God's love and his grace and his goodness and his compassion for us that we can even be enabled to love and obey him through regeneration, through being born again by the Spirit. Amen? So we're saved because he first loved us, and by the way, First John 1, 4, 9, and we love because he first loved us, right? So the proof that we've been born again, the proof that we've been loved by God is that we love one another, and that's really important. And the Father has revealed the plan that has been in his heart to call a people to himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And those people are identified by their love for his son. 
Do you love Jesus today? And do you desire to hear what he has to say and to follow him in every area of your life? It is those that the Father loves. I'm not saying we're perfect in that, obviously. Not yet. <laughs> and that's what a Christian is. And Jesus radiates that promise of the indwelling spirit by saying, I will manifest myself to that person whom the Father loves. Isn't that interesting? I'm gonna manifest. The one who loves me is the one who is loved by my Father and that's the one I'm gonna manifest myself to. I'm gonna de declare myself to. That's pretty amazing. I'm gonna reveal myself to. Verse 22. And I don't know about you, but I would ask a lot of questions at this point. Judas, not Iscariot. How would you like to have that name as one of the disciples? No, I'm not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> He's also called Thaddeus in, in Matthew 10. But he says to him, uh, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And so Judas, not Iscariot, is asking, uh, why aren't you going to show yourself to the world? Like, how in the world are you going to manifest yourself without the world seeing? And Jesus gives them an answer. He says there in verse 23 through uh, 24, he says, if anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word. What do you think he's saying again? If anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What, it, what does that mean? Like, you're going to make a home? Like we're going to go build a hut together? What's he talking about? He's going to make his home in your heart. Wait, I thought the Holy Spirit was going to do that. Yes. That's exactly. Look at, check it out. Verse 15. Jesus promises to send the Spirit permanently to indwell the believers for those who keep his word. Look at verse 23. Now Jesus promises that those who keep his word, the Father and the Son, will come dwell in their heart. God will dwell in the heart of those who keep his word. What is to keep his word, man? To trust in Jesus, to love Jesus, to follow him, amen? And this is all speaking the same thing. So if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. God does not manifest himself in those who do not love and obey Jesus. And so Jesus comforts these disciples with the promises of the Spirit permanently indwelling their life. Listen, church, this promise is for you. You believe in Jesus. God has not left you. His Spirit is within you. Do you know that? Secondly, he says, because I live, you will live. You will live. Do you hear me? You're going to live. Why? Because the one you love is alive. And thirdly, he says, I'm going to make my home where you are. And this is speaking of not only now, but also as we read last week in Revelation 21 or whatever it is, that there will be a place where we dwell together with God forever. But right now, we are the temple of God. Those who believe God's spirit dwells within us. I don't even know why he chose to do that. How beautiful is that? What an act of grace that the holy God would live in, in us. It's because of his son. And now verse 25, Jesus circles back to the promise and we'll read this. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I've said to you. So Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit who's identified back in verses 16, 17 as another just like him, a helper He's gonna be with them forever, the spirit of truth who indwells the believer. And now Jesus in verse 26 removes all doubt. He says, the helper is the Holy Spirit sent by the Father in Jesus' name and he tells them that the spirit will teach them all things and bring them to remembrance all things that Jesus taught. And that's exactly what happened. Acts chapter two, the spirit came and he indwelt them. And those New Testament apostles wrote the New Testament and they were reminded, you ever wonder how they remembered all the conversations? This is his promise being manifest to them. And, though, and through the Holy Spirit, they penned the New Testament. And the gift of the Holy Spirit was not just for the apostles' church. This is important. 
they, they were absolutely gifted above, above us in unique ways. But check this out. When we're born again, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And just like Jesus with his disciples, he helps you, he leads you, he counsels you, he comforts you, he corrects you. You know, when you guys are having hard times and the world's overwhelming and all of a sudden you start praying and then this flooding sensation of peace comes over your heart or you're led to a passage of scripture that jumps off the page and just radically assaults whatever's going on in your life and you're just overtaken by truth. That's him at work in your heart, in your life. How awesome is that? He sanctifies you. When you're walking down a path and you know that's not right and you're grieved in your heart, whereas before it was like, yeah, whatever. See, that's him. He's, no, 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 that's not in accordance to your new nature. That's not walking like the Father would walk. Let's go this way. You see, the Lord's at work in your life. You don't even know it. And that's the thing about the Holy Spirit is, is that he's so subtle. He's so gentle, yet he is so powerful. He's constantly working behind the scenes. And as you look at the, at the relationship of God, you see the Father who is, Jesus says, is greater than I. We know that's not in nature, but that's in authority. God, the Father, is the one who has all authority, has all power, and he, Jesus as well, obviously, and the Holy Spirit as well. But what happens is you see there's a relationship between them that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And you see the Spirit who is who is sent, but t- causes us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. I'm working this backwards here. I'm trying to figure out which order to do it in. But the Spirit is sent in the life of a believer so that we will be witnesses of Jesus Christ who testifies of the, of the Father. You see how that works? And the Father glorifies the Son by sending the Holy Spirit. There's this relationship of love between them, and he draws us into that eternal relationship. The Spirit's at work, so he, he sanctifies us, he purifies us, he leads us, he counsels us. And as we keep in step with him, as he keeps us in step with him, the fruit of the Spirit starts to manifest. What do you mean the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, love, p- joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, what kind of tree you are produces the kind of fruit. So if you're a born-again Christian, if you love God, then you're going to start to act godly. You're going to act like Christ and you're going to have love in your life and joy and this peace. Patience and gentleness. And, and we see this start to manifest as we just abide in Christ. Beautiful passage of scripture. But it's not just, it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just do all those things in our life and then manifest the fruit of the Spirit. He empowers us for ministry and for evangelism. Like he's given you gifts in Christ. You know, people talk, oh man, that's an amazing athlete. Well, there's spiritual giftings within the body of Christ. I'm exercising one, albeit you can judge for yourself. <laughs> but we're, it's more like that, you know, never mind, I'm not going to go there. So, not politically correct. Stop, Matt. See, the Lord's working. Um, but he gives you gifts. Each one of you in Christ is gifted with a spiritual gift. It's amazing. You know, it's kind of like when you look at, you know, all the superhero movies. It's like, you know, some people have stretchy arms and some people, you know, can do things or whatever it is. It's like spiritually you've been gifted by God in a unique way and it's not for your benefit. It's for our benefit. Do you see that? You are like a part of the body, and without you, we suffer, but with you, we are blessed if you function in accordance to what the head says. And who is the head of the church? Christ. Make no mistake, he is the head of the church, and he works through his spirit, and as we are abiding in him in love, he's going to compel you in your giftings, church. You see that? But as you, as you aren't, you're going to retract and start to retard the body of Christ. And that's not good. But as you abide and you follow Jesus, health comes into your life and you start operating within the specific giftings he's called you to. And he lays them out in several areas of scripture. And as that, those gifts are operated in love, 
we are built up and we all start to function together as one body. As we love one another and we go share the gospel with the world. You see how that works. And so Paul says, both in Ephesians 1 and first, uh, Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and, and Romans, that the Holy Spirit, well, that, that's the, those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But he also says in, in Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit is also, lastly, the seal of our salvation. What would happen is when they were shipping stuff, they would have a seal on it like today, but it would be a unique mark on a package like with, with wax or whatever it was that had that owner's signature. And it was the seal upon that that said, this is mine. You have been given God himself as the seal that you are his. Isn't that awesome? So, as the Lord is leaving, he's not leaving them as orphans. He's leaving them his very spirit, his very soul with them. Isn't that beautiful? And then the very next words in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. How's the peace of the world working out for you? Pretty temporary, pretty fickle, pretty dependent on, per- on circumstances, right? When Jesus says, I've got a peace that will never leave you, it will be in you, it will testify of me, you're gonna live again. All these things, he just rattles all these things. I, the peace I'm giving is awesome. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. I know that sounds like a comforting thing, but it's also an exhortation. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's telling them. It's a command. Don't let it be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Troubles meaning, dis, uh, meaning being disturbed in, in anxiousness, restlessness, that's all that means, troubles, and afraid means afraid. Verse 28 you heard me say I'm going away and I will come. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You see, listen, they were not taking God at his word. They were being overrun by the circumstances. She so said, if you love me, you would obey me and you wouldn't let your hearts be troubled. You trust what I'm saying is gonna happen. You see, they had to grow in their love for the Lord, didn't they? But he says, I've told you what's going on before it takes place so that you know when it happens that I told you it would happen so you would believe in me. Jesus knew everything that was gonna happen to him. He knew the betrayal, he knew the death, he knew the crucifixion, he knew the resurrection, he knows everything. Do you think God knows what's going on right now in this world? Do you think he has a care for you in it? So I know you've checked out CDC, I know you know how to wash your hands and stay isolated and all those things. Are you at home? And uh, seek your Lord. Seek his mind. Pray. Encourage him how he might use you in this time to minister to people or to not minister to people. Amen? (laughs) He says here in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the rule of this world is coming He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so time is short. Judas is possessed by Satan. He's gonna go grab a contingency of of troops that are gonna meet Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in just a very short time. Jesus has a couple more chapters of things to say here that John's gonna record, but all this is gonna happen according to what the Father has commanded, and Jesus is gonna absolutely follow the the Father's will in this, reconciling us to the world, uh, reconciling us to God. And it is through his act of obedience, laying down his life, that the world would know his love for the Father. And then Jesus says, let us go from here. Fitting in verse for us, huh? Let us go from here. It's at this point, they leave the upper room and they start to walk out to Gethsemane and so Jesus starts to, he'll pray and do some other things. So, as we close, 
Listen, Jesus is on the throne. And he has not left you as orphans, amen? He has placed his very spirit within you. Keep in step with him. Pray, seek, ask, and you'll find. Obey. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, trust him. And know that because he lives, you'll live. Amen? There's a lot of anxiety out there and things and a lot of shift that happens in such a short amount of time and it can create a lot just logistically. There's a lot of ministry to happen, so be, be patient with one another. Be kind, be understanding, and uh, let the love of Christ flow through you this week. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this passage of Scripture. Your Spirit is still at work. We know in John 16, it says that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's paraphrased, but Lord, you are at work. And I pray that you continue to shine through this church, can shine through your word, that hearts would be broken over their sin and be drawn to Jesus the righteous and avoid the judgment to come. Thank you for laying down the greatest of lives to redeem the lowest of the low, to raise us up, to be your sons and daughters. What manner of love that you've bestowed upon us that we could be called children of the Most High God. And so, Lord, we, we stand on your word. We don't want to just be hearers, but doers. And, Father, may you testify of your love for the Father through us. God, we want to thank you for this place. Thank you for the people in our valley who are ministering and helping people and just our hospitals and doctors and nurses and our government. We lift them all up before your throne, Lord, and ask for you to give them wisdom and, and grace at all of this. And we just want to thank you that we can enjoy you and your precious promises in the midst of anything. And so, Lord, have your way this week. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.